Welcome to the Husk Guys Podcast. Oh, yeah. All right, what's up, Husker Nation? This is Dave from Husk Guys. This is episode two of the Husk Guys Podcast. I am super pumped and excited to uh, be chatting here today with someone that everybody knows, one of the best black shirts and defensive linemen in Husker history, Adam Carricker, who's starting up some really cool businesses that we're excited to dive into, the Carricker Chronicles, as well as across his media network. Uh, Adam, today, what's up? Hey, how's everybody doing? Appreciate you having me. Awesome, man. Adam, thanks for coming on here. So, uh, you know, Adam's been extremely gracious with his time uh, lately as we've started to partner a little bit on his new venture. Character Chronicles. So Character Chronicles is a, I'll let you speak to it, Adam, but it's a cool compilation of a lot of different businesses across Husker Nation. So Adam, would love for you to talk a little bit about Character Chronicles, about your vision for the business and what you're hoping to do uh, with that business. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Character Chronicles, I don't want to say it was just a show, but that was, you know, all it really, the, the vision for it was really to be a show and there was nothing more, nothing less. And then when I decided to go on my own, oh, when was that? Whatever it was, January, when there was a parting of the ways, uh, all of a sudden I was like, you know what? There's a lot of things that this could be. Uh, and full disclosure, I had chatted with the Herald about all those things. Um, and again, we parted ways. That's cool. And so I just like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and do it. So you got the YouTube channel, uh, which is uh, I'm very grateful that it's growing quickly. Uh, I'm doing shows. There'll be gut reactions starting next week to the volleyball match. We're going to set an indoor, uh, a women's record, attendance record, and then the football game versus Minnesota. And then I'm doing like an eight-part interview series with a bunch of pretty cool guests from Osborne to Larry the Cable Guy, Rex Burkhead, a bunch of cool people, the governor. So it's been a lot of fun things. And also, you know, we started doing highlight tapes this summer, and then we're going to be putting out press conferences. we got the website, characterchronicles.com. Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Everything I just mentioned is going to be on there, plus the Big Ten show, where I've been doing a Big Ten show with my co-host Jeff Turn of ESPN. Uh, 93.7 The Ticket's been doing a bunch of stuff. we got Carriker's Crew with Ashley Spitznagel and her arts. And then you've got Connor Hayden of Corn Craze, who's built a monster YouTube channel. John Johnson of Corn Nation, who's definitely not boring, highly entertaining. And then the movie and Telly Hente, Rob Zadiska of Doc Talk. They're all putting their stuff there. And then we've got some merchandise that people are interested, uh, selling pipeline jerky, something I know that you're, you're heavily invested in. And so a lot of fun stuff going on. Uh, you know, that's why I didn't want to say just a show in the be- beginning, but that's really all I thought it was going to be. And then when I went on my own, it's like, if I'm being honest, I don't understand 80%. Uh, I don't. It's either 100% in or 100% out. And when I was on my own, I'm like, well, let's go balls to the wall. And let's light this candle. So we'll just see where it goes. We're having fun along the way. Yeah, it's 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 a really cool effort. And I think Husker Nation certainly appreciates that. I know we do. And so, yeah, Pipeline Jerky is how we really started to engage. And, uh, you know, I love having Pipeline Jerky on the site. So for those uh, listening and are, and are fans of the show, I'd love for you to go to Character Chronicles, search for Pipeline Jerky and check it out. So uh, it, it's one of the areas I'd love to, to pivot into here, Adam. I mean, I, I guess first I would like to say I just – I've listened to the Roy Hallou episode. I listened to Amon Green episode and the Stunts episode. I think you're doing a great job with these guys. These are a lot of guys that don't typically do interviews. Um, so I think it's really cool that you're kind of digging into the deep into the archives for the guys who, uh, you know, have some really good gems. Roy had some great gems and so did Amon. So I, I want to commend you on those. Those are, those are, those are fantastic. 
Uh, yeah, and I guess the, yeah, the, the way I wanted to pivot here, Adam, is um, so pipeline jerky is something that we created as a way to uh, you know, create a, an NIL opportunity for the offensive line. So by buying a bag of jerky, you're directly contributing to the offensive line. We've got an NIL contract in place with the top uh, you know, nine players, the two deep or top 10 players on the, on the O-line and royalty goes to them. But Adam, I'd love your perspective on you know, NIL businesses like this. Uh, how that's kind of changed the college landscape. And, um, you know, first one is just kind of your overall perspective. And then I'd love to kind of hear how you think this would have impacted you back in your playing days. Oh, man. NIL and the transfer portal have completely changed college athletics. It is, if it's not already, very soon it's, it's going to make college athletics a semi-pro league. And I don't mean that in a negative tone or a positive one. That's just what it is. Um, it's created a lot more accountability for coaches. I wonder if it's created accountability for players or not, but it's created more opportunities, that's for sure. Uh, when you talk about the transfer portal, then you talk about NIL. I mean, my gosh, you know, if we got a, a cheeseburger from the wrong person back in the day, you felt like the whole program was going to come down the way they made it sound and the way things were with the $4 billion rules the NCAA has. Now you got guys going from one school to another and they've got like hundreds of thousands to maybe a million or two dollars on the table they're being offered. So it is crazy how much it has changed. Obviously, you got the conference realignment and all that. I know it's another topic, but college sports is going to be so different here in the next couple of years already is than it was for what seemed like forever, but at least decades. Yeah, that, it's a great perspective. And uh, from a, from an NIL standpoint with Nebraska, uh, I mean, one of the biggest opportunities I see, and that's why Pipeline Jerky, I think, is, is front and center of that, is how do you take advantage of the collective fan base's interest in the program and put it center stage through NIL opportunities? How, how do you think Nebraska can stay ahead and stay, you know, and try to, you know, maintain the fan support and create these NIL opportunities for players so we can attract the best talent? What do you, what do you think it would take for Nebraska to be at the top of that game? Well, I think Nebraska's got a good – I think it helped Nebraska level the playing field because now when you start bringing money into the equation, there are plenty of people who back Nebraska with money. And I feel like that is something that leveled the playing field, you know, when it comes to enticing recruits or recruiting in general. And, you know, the more money that you have, let's be honest, that, that word keeps coming up for a reason. The more money that you have, uh, the easier it can become to recruit. The better recruits you have, the more talent you have, the more talent you have, the better opportunity you have to be really good. It's a really, uh, it's like two plus two equals four. I, I'm, I'm sure everybody gets that, understands it. So it's one of those things where you think about pipeline jerky. Yes, great jerky, phenomenal. Also, you're helping the football program. There are many ways to uh, get awesome jerky and help the football program all at once. Yeah, for sure. Now let's. So you're obviously a star and entering, uh, you know, across the, your, your four years or your five years playing. How would NIL change your college experience? What would you have, how would you approach it? Would you have been big on endorsement deals? Would you have approached specific teams? Like, tell me, what do you think you would have done? Oh, it would have been huge. I mean, my, my first, uh, I don't even remember how long it was. Uh, for two weeks, my dad dropped me off. I want to say the middle of June. And then went back home, and I was uh, at college, but the doors weren't open. We could not have training table food yet. 
So I slept on senior defensive end from Texas, Justin Smith. I slept on his couch for two weeks. And I really wanted to do things on my own. I really, I don't like accepting a lot of help from other people, uh, sometimes to my detriment. So my dad, I think he gave me 50 bucks, but I didn't, I didn't ask for anything. I didn't want anything. And so for two weeks, I went to the campus, to Justin's house, I guess. I worked out with the team with 120 metric protein powder packets. For those two weeks, with the exception of one steak that Justin cooked for me, all I ate for two weeks was those protein powder packets. Like, I guarantee if NIL exists, I ain't doing that. Just as a quick example, I guarantee the NCAA college football game never goes away. Um, and so there's, it would be drastically different. Uh, you can argue whether it's better or not, but it would have been drastically different. And as a college athlete myself, I probably would have liked it. I'm not going to try to deny that point. Which of your which of the teammates that you played with would have commanded the highest NIL deals? I mean, you, you instantly got to start looking at the quarterback. Uh, by the time he started to get Zach Taylor, by the time he started to get his recognition, he was done. Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. Up until then, I don't know that there was a ton of recognition. I think the guy that had the most recognition for the longest amount of time, because that's going to indicate who gets the most money, was probably Corey Ross. Um, I think he won an offensive MVP twice. I know he won it once. I think he won it twice, so it may have been Corey Ross. Um, you know, a guy like Ricky Incognito would have been interesting. Um, he either would have had a ton of offers or none. I'm not sure how that would have worked out. I'm sure somebody would have bought into it and been excited about it. So just a guy with, you know, that kind of aura to him that catches people's attention. Uh, you know, the Bullocks twins, you can always do something with twins, Josh and Daniel. Uh, that's always uh, enticing to people because it's a unique, rare thing. And obviously they were very good football players. Duan Gross, my freshman year. I mean, what he returned? 50,000 punts for a touchdown or something? Uh, seemed, seemed like every time he touched the ball. And the, I remember the whole stadium chanting gross, gross, gross as he was getting ready to return it. So those are some of the guys that kind of pop into my head a little bit. Those are some uh, amazing blasts from the past. Great names and from the, the Husker memory book. That's a, that's a fun one to go down. So, Adam, I'd love to transition kind of the turret, to the turret season. And one of the reasons I was excited to hop on the phone with you is, is you you played through a coaching transition. And one of the things that we've seen over the course of, you know, now that we've seen how many of these coaching transitions since you played, uh, one of the problems is always this roster turnover. And, you know, there's players now that are frost guys and there's players now that are rule guys and you got some transfers that have come in. Tell me, tell us a little bit about that process for you, where you were recruited by Solich, finished your career uh, with Callahan, obviously. Um, tell us about that process of the locker room turnover and what these players are going through starting next week, heading into the Minnesota game. Yeah, um, I think well to address frost guys versus rule guys. I think rule. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, Frost did not, did not do a good job of that. At post game press conferences, he would flat out say, "Some of these, these guys aren't my players." Like that's drawing a freaking line in the sand if I've ever seen one. And so I think rule. One of the things he said when he first got there, I didn't recruit you guys, but I want to coach you guys. 
And so I think he created a broader, cast a broader net of trying to be inclusive to everybody. And I mean, we haven't seen a post-game press conference yet. Maybe he does something similar, but I'd be shocked. So I think he's done a better job of that. As far as my experience, yeah, Coach Solich and George Darlington, I was the West Coast where I grew up, born in Hastings, but grew up in the state of Washington. So the West Coast was George Darlington's recruiting ground. And so he's the one who recruited me. Uh, Coach Solich, I think he came out to my house twice. I think actually I take that back. Once he came out to the house, and it was a Sunday night, and I know that because I was in charge of cooking breakfast for dinner on Sunday. I was in charge of dinner every Sunday night, and I always cook breakfast because that's what I like to cook. And he was sitting there at my parents' house eating my pancakes that I made. Um, I don't know. Is that an NCAA violation in reverse? How does that work? So anyway, uh, then the other time, he was at the airport. And he's like, hey, Adam, I got like a 90-minute layover. Can you come see me? And so we just like met at the Red Lobster. Only time I've ever been in a Red Lobster, by the way. Uh, and we just ate and chatted real quick, you know. And so he was the one he, that recruited me. He's the guy I committed to play for, which is which is mostly true because I'm more so committed to the program than I did Solich as much as I liked him. Like, I grew up dreaming of playing Nebraska football. So when Solich got fired, it, it, I mean, it was after, what, a nine wins going before a bowl game. We ended up winning, so we had ten wins that year. The way he got fired, I always said he got fired for the year before when they went, I think, 7-7. Seven and seven. I, I redshirted that year. But the way he, I found out was what made me mad. I was at my grandparents' house in Aurora playing cards. I found it watching ESPN. Um, that bothered me more than anything. But then when Callahan came in, I mean, it was no difference. I don't want to say it was no difference. Like, Solich didn't matter to me because he did. And we've kept in contact here and there since then. That's a long time to stay in contact. But to me, it didn't matter in the aspect of I wanted to be a Nebraska Cornhusker. All right, this is the next coach. Let's lock this candle. And that's just kind of how I looked at it. It might have been easier for me than some guys because I committed to the program as much as anybody, whereas some guys committed for Solich. Um, and so there's definitely a get-to-know-you period. That first year under Callahan, I'll just be honest, because I played a couple years under Solich, a couple under Callahan. That could be the least amount of fun I've ever had playing football in my life. Um, I think part of it was he was trying to set a tone. I think part of it was he didn't respect us as football players because at one point he called us effing amateurs. We weren't pros, um, but that's something I've never shared before. Um, and I think the way he went about things, I think he was hurt that he was fired from the Raiders. And there was a lot of things he did that just made life miserable. My brother-in-law was a senior that year. And he, to this day, still holds hard feelings towards Nebraska. Because um, that was his last football experience. He was a walk-on D lineman from, nobody's going to know Gruel, but Ogallala, Nebraska, out west. And so for me, I mean, it was tough, but I was committed to the program. If you look at the, the captains from 2004, Callahan's first year, uh, there was only one senior. The other three were underclassmen, yet none of them came back. Fabian Washington left early. Ross Pilkington was done playing. Barrett graduated. And Josh Bullock left early for the pros. Like, none of them came back. So that first year was brutal, but I think that was, Callahan was upset. I think he didn't respect the program. I think he was trying to set what I find to be an unreasonable tone, which is hard to get me to say something like that. 
the next two years were a little bit better, a little bit more reasonable, if you will. Um, so it was difficult, but I, for me, it wasn't difficult because of the coaching change, because I was more about the program than I was anyone. Uh, me, everything completely changed, and I just felt like there was, you know, a lack of respect for the program from the new head coach. Super, super interesting. I think you're dropping some great nuggets here on on you know what went right and what went wrong in that transition. So what I mean, I would agree. Rules seemingly, at least publicly facing, doing a fantastic job of bringing everybody together: the fans, the coaches, the you know the alums. But based on your experience too, what are the specific things that you know he could or should be doing now to make sure both classes are coming together as we head in, so we're like one Husker unit. I think the way he approached it in the beginning, like, hey, I didn't recruit you guys, but I want to coach you guys. I mean, it's the truth. I didn't recruit you, but I'm not stuck with you because I want you. It's a completely, it's truthful, it's genuine, and yet it's welcoming. Um, Then, and I wasn't there, they had a former players practice last spring, and I wasn't there. I forget who, somebody posted it on Twitter said something about rules says I don't care whatever Husker football you played in. I don't care if you won three national titles. I'll do respect. That's obviously phenomenal. I don't care if you won none. I don't care. Like think about the guys who've been there the past four or five years. They didn't even go to a bowl game. Do they not also get the respect that a former Husker deserves just like anyone else? Yeah, they should. And rule said I, I, I respect what everyone's done, hasn't done, but you're all equal to me and you're going to be treated the same. And I'm just going to be real. Frost didn't do that at all. And I'm not trying to bury Scott Frost, but that, that was probably the worst thing he did was he drew a line in the sand between players who were there before him and players he recruited. And he drew a line in the sand between former players he was teammates with and guys he wasn't. Um, I think Rule up to this point has done the exact opposite in a, in a very, very good manner. That's super interesting. So it's almost like a 90s, 90s players versus all type mentality. Well, not from everybody, and it wasn't, like, proclaimed that way, you know, but you can just – you can see interactions. You can see – you can just see things. You know, it's not rocket science. Um, And admittedly, there was a couple of guys who were Frost teammates who weren't thrilled with him either. Uh, Some of them are in the media. I won't say their names, but, you know, it's kind of one of those things where there was – there seemed to be an inner circle, and kind of everyone else is the way it seems to be. Yeah, and I, you know, I know there was a feeling across the board with a lot of guys like that. Yeah, super interesting. Well, I think it's encouraging to hear what you're saying that they are uh, that you're feeling more welcomed as an alum, that you're feeling more involved. Uh, I think that's you know obviously important for the fans. It's important for you guys, and so you know that seems to be a huge, a huge and important next step. Uh, shifting a little bit too to the team itself, right? So I know you you spent a ton of time. Uh, you've met with, yeah, I believe you met with Rule. I know you've definitely met with Tony White. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've listened to a lot of your previews so far, but we kind of love your perspective on, you know, how they're approaching the season and what you're thinking, you know, how, how you think things are going to shake up for, for Minnesota game one. How, think, how things are shaking up going into game one, was that the question? Yes, sir. You know, it's interesting. Um, the defense feels like it's definitely ahead of the offense. That's not a new sentiment being put out there. Um, I think the linebacking core and the running back room has the potential to be the two best 
and deepest position groups on the team, we have the opportunity to be a great running football team, starting with uh, a phenomenal athlete, a quarterback, and Jeff Sims. Then you got three potentially dynamic runners and Gabe and Ramir and Anthony. Then you got a big offensive line. Hopefully it's a lot better. You know, you talk about some of these guys coming back from last year that weren't there, whether it's Nadine Nwili, who would have probably been our best guard. I know Teddy's been banged up, but if Rahat could be healthy, you got Ben Scott, based on what I saw in the spring game, he's an improvement. And then hopefully, you know, some of these highly recruited guys, Turner Corcoran, Bryce Benhart, I mean, they were highly touted, recruited guys. I mean, at some point, the experience has to kick in because they've got plenty. Also, Ethan Piper's been, I've heard great things about him so far. If two of those three guys can just step up or all three so we could have some depth, maybe we can run the football pretty well. You know, I think the defense might be ahead of the offense just because our passing game, uh, Sims has to show that he can be a consistent passer, take care of the ball. We got some young, talented wide, wide receivers. But other than Billy Kemp, and I don't know that he's a game breaker, all, all due respect, very good football player. You know, we got to have some, some of the unproven guys that are talented step up sooner rather than later. So uh, I think the defense is probably the stronger unit at the moment. Uh, I'm curious to see how well we can run the ball because we're going to have to lean on the run game first and hopefully the pass game catches up quickly. You know, so it'll be interesting. Uh, nobody really has any idea what's going to happen against Minnesota on Thursday, and I think that just kind of adds to the anticipation. Sorry. Do you have a record prediction? Yeah, so one of the shows I did, uh, well, I guess the only show I've done so far since I've come back on my own, it's not an interview, um, is my record prediction show. And, you know, it's a bit of a guessing game. I don't know what to make in Nebraska. And then half the time, unfortunately, we win, we lose games we shouldn't sometimes. Hopefully that stops. That'd be great. You know, we win some of these get to eight, nine wins quick. On the other hand, you know, we haven't had a winning season since what, 2016. So who knows? Um, that being said, it's not an Uber killer schedule. Thoughts as I went through the schedule and I kind of looked at everything. Sometimes I looked at it game by game. There was about a five game stretch where I was like, I don't know. We could win some of these. We could lose. So I just, I predicted after looking at them and doing the deep dive that we'd be around three and two in that stretch. So my final prediction was like with seven and five. Hey, I'll take that after the last five, six years. That's a, uh, that's a pretty, that's a pretty nice number. Uh, we're on the record and this is obviously coming from the Husk guys who uh, pump Kool-Aid relentlessly into the program, but I've convinced myself and walked through in a very convoluted way, how we get to 10 and two. And uh, I, I won't bore you with the details of it, but uh, it's, it's a highly everything, everything going perfectly for Nebraska we lose to Minnesota, we lose to Michigan, but then we win out. And it is a, uh, yeah, I have no idea. I enjoy going into the season thinking we have a shot at winning the Big Ten until we are mathematically eliminated from the entire postseason. But, yeah, we'll see what happens. But uh, let me finish with this, Adam. I know you're, uh, you know, you're driving around, you're heading to, to practice on to be respectful of your time, but I want to finish the way that you've been finishing all of your podcasts that I've really enjoyed. Do you have one story – that from your playing days, that is uh, one you haven't told or one you want to share um, that you want to share with us as we head out of here? Well, so two things. Number one, I like your prediction better than mine. <laughs> I would be more than happy for you to be right and me to be wrong. That'd be okay with me. Um, 
Number two is just a friendly piece of advice. That is a question that I learned to ask people before they came on. You usually hear, you usually hear, oh, well, I need to think about that one. So just going forward, it's a great question, but I've learned to ask people before. Uh, Something from my playing days that people would find interesting. There's a lot of things people would find interesting. Now, what am I comfortable with sharing? That's the real question. Um, man, I think one thing that was interesting to me, it's kind of a two-parter. When I first got there, we could do two-a-days every day. So my first training camp or fall camp was two-a-days every day as a true freshman, going against Richie, going against all these guys, banging and clanging. Um, getting up, not being able to walk right for 90 minutes and then going and banging for two hours and then doing it again like three hours later. And then, you know, because we got to keep in mind, it was Frank, it was Jamal, it was Darren Diedrich, it was all those guys and it was double teams and it was power and it was option, it was run the ball and it was physical. And I, I think I was like 247 my true freshman year, so I was a little bit undersized. And then a couple of years later, you know, we couldn't do two-a-days anymore. And it was 2-1, two, 2-1, one, two, one. two practices, then one, 2-1, two, 2-1. One, two, one. And the first year of that, I actually thought was worse because with two-a-days, you had to have one mandatory day off every week, which was always Sunday. And with the 2-1, two, 2-1, one, two, one, they got rid of days off. There was no mandatory days off. And so that first year, we went 24 straight days before we finally had a day off. And I'm like, this sucks. Bring back two-a-days. Um, but then the offenses that we were going against, all of a sudden, it was zoned with Callahan which is like the most vastly different blocking scheme than power that you could possibly find. Power is right down your throat, right up your rear, play after play, double team, double team, bang, 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 bang. Are you going to do this all day and you're going to do it all day tomorrow and the next day or not? And then all of a sudden, it's completely different. It's zone right, zone left. And I always jokingly describe zone blocking in football as run 40 yards to the left for the O-line, run 40 yards to the right, which I actually hated more because I was supposed to maintain my gap integrity uh, while going sideways, which is why zone blocking is effective. While it's not as physical, it's effective. Because I think the year before the Raiders, where Callahan was at, actually led the NFL number one at rushing. And so it was interesting to me how practice changed over time. Because then eventually they got rid of two days altogether. And that was after my time. I think I was in D.C. with Shanahan. And we weren't doing two days at all anymore. And I'm like, this is nothing. This is cake. You know, but then just going against different offensive teams and how completely different it was from power to now we're running zone and now it's bootleg instead of play action. And then the types of linemen were a lot faster versus a lot bigger. Um, So to me, how things changed for me in practice over the years from how practice was ran, how many we had, what they were like and what I was facing. I always thought it was very interesting because it changed so much, completely much. Uh, I don't know. Maybe people find that interesting. Yeah, so. it's. I think it's super interesting. The coach to coach, I think, is so interesting and challenging, and the transition is tough. And it's. I really genuinely appreciate your perspective, and I'm sure Husker Nation will appreciate it too. Adam, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, great to hear from you. And uh, yeah, everybody, go to CaricerChronicles.com. Check out all the cool new stuff he's got going on. Everything from the media side, the video side, to the merchandise, to the jerky, to everything in between. Adam, thank you for uh, joining us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me.